I will jump straight into the topic because it's a long topic for tonight. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will give you strength and he will give you understanding and he will help me uh, to present in a clear way. So let's bow our heads, if you will, and pray together. Father in heaven, we come before your presence tonight with our hearts filled with desire to understand this topic and also to be ready for your kingdom. Again, we pray for the presence of the Holy Spirit, for Him to guide us into all truth. Father, as I present the message tonight, let it be made clear, crystal clear, so your people can understand and apply in their lives. For we pray in the precious name of Jesus, let everyone say, Amen. Amen. So here we go. So when we talk about the mark of the beast, there are different kinds of understandings out there. People have different ideas. For instance, the number 666 is found in the book of Revelation, close to the topic of the mark of the beast. And some people think that maybe a tattoo, uh, maybe something like, for instance, a bar, Cold uh, having 666 could be the mark of the beast, especially in the 70s and early 80s when these kind of uh, colds appeared. So a lot of people, they were scared and say it might be the mark of the beast. Some people say maybe is some form of what, everyone? A chip mark, you know, like putting your forehead and they can control you so you can only buy or sell if you have that chip. Okay, so we have recently now with COVID-19, every time something new comes into scene, people say must be the mark of the beast. And the new one now is related to COVID-19 vaccine. Some people are saying that that vaccine can actually alter, um, you know, like um, your neurons or somehow in implant in you some form of a, a, a chip so and that will be the mark of the beast or you can't really do anything except you have the vaccine but tonight friends we are looking for biblical answers and we are going to go to the book of revelation to understand this topic so important the book of revelation is the revelation of who in the first place everyone Jesus Christ we are going to talk about the beast because it's not like a one sentence the mark of the beast Okay, or, or one word, as many people say, the mark of the beast. We say so, so quickly that it seems to be one single word, the mark of the beast. But it's the mark of, what everyone? The beast. And we are going to talk about the beast, but I want you to understand that in first place, the book of Revelation is about who, everyone? Jesus Christ. Revelation reveals Jesus, what everyone? Truth and exposes Satan's deceptions or lies and that's what we're going to find in the book of revelation so again to understand the mark of the beast we need to understand uh, what everyone who is or what is what the beast we have no chance in understanding the mark of the beast if we do not first understand what or who is the beast are we together so far so let's begin with that. We're going to go to Revelation chapter 13. What chapter are we going in the book of the Bible? Revelation 13. I invite you to go there and make sure you mark your Bible tonight in this chapter because that's our central chapter for our study tonight. And that's the chapter we find uh, the mark of the beast, okay? So we're going to Revelation chapter 13. And we're going to begin in the very first verse. Notice carefully what it says here. And by the way, uh, the word beast, it seems to be offensive. It seems to be what, everyone? Offensive. But really, it's not offensive. The word beast simply means what, everyone? An animal, okay? It means what, everyone? An animal, okay? And uh, we have already seen that animals are often used to symbolize nations and kingdoms. And it's not offensive at all. It is like the question should be, uh, what is the animal? Or who is this animal in Revelation chapter 13? Notice carefully what it says here. Verse 1, the Bible says, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a what, everyone? A beast rising up out of the sea. Did you see that word there? Rising out, out, out of what? 
the sea having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. So I want to start by showing what the sea in Bible prophecy symbolizes. Uh, you can go there with me, if you will, but in Revelation 17, verse 15, I have here on the screen, it tells us what a sea or waters represent in Bible prophecy. Notice carefully what it says. The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are what, everyone? Peoples, multitudes, and what? Nations and tongues. So a beast riding, uh, rising out of the sea shows that it's rising among uh, Nations where there is a lot of people and tongues, okay? So it's rising from a highly populated area. Are we together so far? So notice carefully what it says in verse 2, going back to Revelation 13. Revelation 13, verse 2, the Bible says, Now the beast which I saw was like, what is the first animal? A leper, but it doesn't stop there. His feet were like the feet of a or bear. And then it says, and his mouth like the mouth of a Lion. Where do you see these three animals here uh, before in the Bible? Where did we see them? Daniel chapter 7. That's right. So that means that Daniel chapter 7, you're welcome to go there, but make sure you mark your Bible in Revelation 13. But it seems that Daniel chapter 7 helps to unlock what is written in Revelation chapter 13. Are we together so far? Notice what we find in Daniel 7, 23. It helps us to understand what a beast symbolizes in Bible prophecy or what an animal symbolizes in Bible prophecy. There it says, Thus he said, The fourth, what everyone? Beast shall be the fourth, what? Kingdom on earth. Are we together here tonight that a beast is a symbol in Bible prophecy for a kingdom? Yes or no? Yes, so that's very clear. So we are really trying to discover who is this kingdom in Revelation 13. Okay, so... There in Daniel chapter 7, we see four beasts. All of them, they represented a nation like Babylon, Middle Persian, Greece, and Rome. But now in Revelation 13, we find this unique beast over here that uh, it seems to be a, an amalgamation of uh, several beasts together. So we see so far that a beast is like a kingdom, a political power. Are we together tonight so far? Yes? So far so good? Okay, so let's go on here. So Revelation chapter 13, verse 2 now. We are going to what, uh, what chapter now? 13 of the book of Revelation. Notice what it says. I want you to see here, friends, because before we identify who this beast is or what this kingdom is, we need to make sure we collect all the identifying characteristics before saying who it is or what it is. Are we together? So that's what we're doing here. We are collecting what, everyone? Identifying characteristics of this beast. Notice what it says. One of them here, it says, the what, everyone? The dragon gave him his power. Not only that, but also he is what? Throne and great authority. Friends, what is the dragon in Bible prophecy? It is Satan, primarily Satan. You find that in chapter 12, that the dragon primarily is a symbol of Satan. So we see that these beasts in Revelation 13 receives power from, from Satan. But there it says that receive power, the throne, and great authority. Friends, let me show you tonight that although the dragon primarily symbolized Satan, in a secondary way is a symbol of pagan Rome. What did I say, everyone? Pagan Rome. Let me show that from the Bible for you. Go with me to one chapter before, chapter 12. We're going to chapter 12 in the book of Revelation, and I'm going to show you how this dragon symbolized also pagan Rome. Notice carefully with me in verse 4. I'm beginning the second sentence of verse 4. What sentence of verse 4? The second. Okay, notice what it says here. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth. To, uh, to give birth. And then it says what the dragon tried to do with the child of the woman. To devour her child. When? As soon as it was born. Now, friends, who is this child here? 
this is Jesus Christ. You see in the next verse, okay? The next verse shows that it is Jesus Christ. We are going to read the next verse in a little bit. But I want you to see that as soon as Jesus was born, the dragon tried to do what with Jesus? Kill him, okay? Kill him, destroy him, devour him. Notice verse 5 what it says so we can identify the child. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And then it says, and her child was, what everyone? Cut up to God and his throne. This is talking about Jesus' resurrection and ascension to heaven when he went to the throne of God in the heavenly sanctuary. Now notice carefully here in the slide. In Revelation 12, Satan works through who everyone? Pagan Rome to destroy Jesus because that's exactly what happened uh, in the beginning of the life of Christ on earth. A Roman official by the name of what, everyone? Herod passed a decree that all male children should be what? Killed. You find that in Matthew chapter 2. What chapter did I say of the book of Matthew? Matthew chapter 2, you see very clear, if you want to take a note of that and read at home, you will see that Herod, he was afraid that the Messiah, the king of the Jews, had been born, and then he wanted to destroy the Messiah, and he didn't know where the Messiah was, and then he ordered that all the children two years under should be killed, hoping that he would kill the Messiah, the king of the Jews. He was trying to destroy Jesus as soon as he was born. Okay, so there you have the dragon that wanted to kill Jesus as soon as he was born is the Roman Empire. But it doesn't stop there. Throughout the life of Jesus, the Roman Empire was always involved. For instance, a Roman governor, Pilate, sentenced Christ to death and ordered his, what everyone? His crucifixion, but it doesn't stop there. A Roman emblem sealed Jesus' tomb, and Roman soldiers did what to the tomb? Guarded. Who did pagan Rome give its power, throne, and great authority to? We're going to see that as we unpack this message. But that's the first sign of who is that beast. Number one, receives authority from who, everyone? pagan Rome okay of course the dragon primarily symbolized uh, Satan but pagan Rome was under the influence of Satan okay so to kill Jesus as soon as Jesus was born but now we see the that this pagan Rome is giving his power throne and authority to these other beasts are we together so far Notice carefully here, we are going to put six identifying characteristics of the beast. How many identifying characteristics? Six. The first one we already saw, authority from pagan Rome. Number two, go with me to verse 8. What verse are we now in Revelation 13? Verse 8. You can follow in your Bible. In verse 8 it says here, All who dwell on the earth will do what to that beast? It will worship him. So it shows that it is a power, it is a kingdom that receives what, everyone? Worship. So we see the ecclesiastical power in this beast as well. It's a worldwide religious power because it says that all the world will worship him. Is that clear so far? Is, is that a fair statement here? Is that a fair identifying characteristics to say it's a worldwide religious power based on verse 8 when it says that the whole world worship the beast? I think it is. Notice verse 5. What verse are we now? Verse 5. It gives another identifying characteristic. The Bible says, And he was given a mouth speaking what, everyone? Great things. And what is the next word? Blasphemies. Now, we kind of went over that already, what the Bible defines as blasphemy. But let me go over really quickly. Here's the question. How does the Bible, not me, but the Bible define what, everyone? Blasphemy. We are going to see the biblical definition. The first one is found in the book of John chapter 10. What book are we going now? John chapter 10. You are welcome to go there, but what, what you find in John chapter 10 is Jesus Christ making a claim saying that I and the Father are what, everyone? One. And then the Jews didn't like to hear that. They understood what he was saying. He was basically saying that he was divine. 
Okay, and then the Jews took on stones to stone him. Jesus says, why are you stoning me? For what good works are you stoning me? And then say, we don't stone you for any good works. I want you to see what they tell Jesus on verse 33, why they are stoning him or what they want, for what they want to stone him. It says in verse 33, the Jews answered him saying, for a good work, we do not stone you, but for what purpose? For blasphemy. Why did they think that Jesus spoke blasphemy? And because you, being a man, make yourself what, if you want? God. So blasphemy in the Bible is when a man claims to be God on earth. Now, we also find this passage in Mark chapter 2, verse 7. Mark chapter 2, verse 7, we have Jesus healing a man, uh, you know, but before he healed the man, he said, your sins are what, if you want? Forgiven. And then all the Jews said, who is this man that speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sin but God? And notice what they say here, verse 7. Let's read verse 7. Let's read verse 7. The Bible says, Why does this man speak what, everyone? Blasphemies like these. Who can what? Forgive sins but God alone. So we see two things over here, friends. These power, this kingdom would claim to be God on earth and have the power to forgive sins. Jesus is our only priest and intercessor between sinner and God the Father. And this power claims, you know, the place of Christ. Notice here, claims equality with God. Claims to be God on earth, claims to have the power to forgive sins as far as, you know, atoning for our sins. Now, Revelation chapter 13 and verse 7. Revelation 13, what verse, everyone? 7. We're going to see the fourth identifying characteristic because we want to make sure we don't make a mistake. We don't want to say things to hurt anyone, but we want to let the Bible speak for itself so we can follow what Jesus has instructed. Notice in verse 7, the Bible says, It was granted to him to make what, everyone? War against who? With the saints, and if you want to know who the saints are, you just read Revelation 14, verse 12. I'm not going to go there, but you're welcome to go there. There it says that the saints are those that keep the commandments of God. Revelation 14, verse 12, that was the reference. But they make war against the saints and overcome them. So it's a persecuting power against those that want to remain faithful to the word of God. Are we together so far? So here we have it. It's a persecuting power. Now, go to verse 5 with me. What verse are we now? Verse 5. Verse 5 gives you even a mathematical identifying characteristic for this power. Notice what it says in verse 5. And he was given authority to continue for how long? 42 months. 42 months. As I said to you, this is mathematical proof of identity. God wants to make sure we don't, you know, miss or, 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 or are misled on, in identifying this power. Friends, 42 months, if we consider the Jewish month of, you know, of 30 days, the regular Jewish month has 30 days, you multiply 42 times 30. And what you find is 1260 days. But in Bible prophecy, as we have already seen, one day is equal to what, everyone? One year. If you want the reference, I'm not going to go there, but here's the reference. Ezekiel chapter 4, verse 6. Numbers chapter 14, verse 34. And you're going to see that in Bible prophecy, not in another passage of the Bible, only like apocalyptic prophecies, you will see that one prophetic day is equal to one literal what, everyone? Here, here you have the math if you want some help. You have like 30 days, okay, for uh, the one prophetic month. The Jewish months are normally 30 days, and you multiply by 42, and what you have is how long? 1260 days, which should be 1260, what, everyone? Years. Friend, that's a huge identifying characteristic here of who this beast is. There you have number five. It reigns for 1260 years. But it doesn't stop there. I'm going to put one more identifying characteristic here. And that is found in verse 18. You're jumping all the way to the end of the chapter, Revelation 13 and verse 18. Notice what it says there. Here is wisdom, right? Let him who has understanding, another mathematical evidence of who this power is, calculate the number of the beasts. For it is the number of a, what everyone? Of a man. So it's basically saying this kingdom has 
a number, and that number can be found in a man. And of course, we must look to the one who is the head of this power. In the head of this power, we are going to find this number. And what number is that, everyone? His number is 666. That's not the mark of the beast, by the way. A lot of people, you know, as I put the picture there, they say the mark of the beast is 666. No, this is the number of the beast, and the mark of the beast is something else. Are we together? That's the first clarification I want to make here tonight. The mark of the beast is one thing. The number of the beast is another thing. Yes, somehow they are related, but they are not the same. So here we have number six. The number of his name is what, everyone? 666. And friends, I said to you before, and I will repeat it again, Jesus is not a butcher, but Jesus is a what, everyone? A surgeon. What is the difference between a butcher and a surgeon? A butcher cuts to kill, and a surgeon cuts to what? To heal. Jesus never sends truth to humiliate. Jesus never sends truth to put people down. But he sends truth that cuts, that hurts, but to heal. That's his purpose. Are we together tonight? Now, friends, after watching these six identifying characteristics, we will see as we are going to go one by one that there is no other power other than the Roman Catholic Church and State to be that kingdom portrayed in Revelation chapter 13. For instance, and again, friends, I have no pleasure in showing you that, but that's the truth. I cannot hide you the truth, and we're going to see that in a little bit. Let's go one by one. Number one, authority from what, what nation gave power and authority and the throne to the Roman Catholic Church and state? The pagan Rome. Notice carefully, this is a historian speaking. Basic history again, friends. La Bianca professor of history, university of, what university, everyone? Rome. Rome. Notice what he said. To the succession of the Caesars came the succession of the what? Pontiff in Rome. What, what, uh, what is that all about, pontiff in Rome? It's talking about the Pope. Notice what it says. He goes on to say, when Constantine, and he was the emperor of pagan Rome, but he eventually became Christian, so to speak, okay, so to unite his empire. When Constantine did what to Rome? Left Rome. He gave his seat to who? To the pontiff. Friends, notice the language he's using. You know, he's a historian, and he's just telling us what happened back in the centuries, centuries ago, and he says that Pagan Rome, or Constantine, left Rome and gave his, what everyone? Seat to the pontiff. That's exactly, is the same word used in Revelation 13, verse 2. He gave his seat and authority and power. Notice carefully what it says. Another historian, another one, notice. He writes, the popes fill the place of the vacant, who? Emperors of Rome, because remember, the capital of Rome, the Roman Empire, was changed to Constantinople. And then who, you know, um, filled the vacancy there? It was the popes. Inheriting their, what if you want? Power, another word used in Revelation 13, verse 2. Prestige and titles from who? Paganism, because even though Constantine had uh, become Christian, he never left behind his pagan practices. And he tried to bring that into the church to unite pagans and Christians. So he goes on to say here, The papacy is but the, what if you want? Ghost of the diseased Roman Empire, sitting crowned upon its graves. In other words, if you want to have a glimpse of the Roman, uh, the Roman Empire, you get to know Catholicism, and you will have a glimpse of that. It's basically, it's his own words here. It's a historian saying, you know, the papacy, the Roman Catholic Church and state is the ghost of the diseased, uh, diseased Roman Empire. Now, notice carefully here, the beast is not a what, everyone? A person. It is a religious, what's the next word? political system. We're dealing here with a power. We're dealing here with a kingdom that has political and religious power. We're not dealing with one single person. A lot of people, in the, you know, like, um, and I'll just say plainly, friends, a lot of 
um, you know, modern preachers, they say that the Antichrist is this one person that will do this or that. No, we're talking about here a system. We're talking here about a power. We're talking about a kingdom because a beast in Bible prophecy is equal to a kingdom. A beast that has also ecclesiastical power, both political and ecclesiastical. That's what we are talking about. Notice carefully here. The beast of Revelation 13 describes a what, everyone? A religious political system that grew up out of what? Of Rome, because it received the power, the seat, and the authority of the dragon. Okay, pagan Rome. Very, very good. So, friends, don't please don't leave here saying, "Oh, you know, Pastor Giancarlo said that that uh, the beast of Revelation 13 is the Pope." I never said that. He's just a man that is part of that system. He is the head of that system. But it's not about a man. It's not about Pope Francis or any other Pope that may come after him or came before him. It's about the whole system. Are we together? So let's go on here. And by the way, the Pope is, you know, someone that needs to give his heart to Jesus and find salvation in Christ Jesus. Would you say amen for that? There is no hatred toward, you know, the, the, the head of the system or the members of that system. There is a lot of faithful Catholics everywhere in the, everywhere in the world that are not aware with Bible prophecy. There, this is not a message of hatred. Are we together? This is a message of enlightenment. What kind of message did I say? Enlightenment. We want to know what the Bible says. Notice here. Number two, worldwide religious power. Is the Roman Catholic Church and state a worldwide religious power? You better believe it. It's the strongest Christian denomination, but not only a denomination. We know it's a country in the world. Notice number three. It claims what with God? Equality with God. Is that true? When we analyze the writings, the official writings of the Catholic Church, let's see a few. We already saw that equality with God is blasphemy. You know, a man that, uh, you know, uh, someone that claims to be God on earth or have the power to forgive sins so people can go to heaven. Notice what it says here. Very carefully. Does the Roman Church make that claim to have equality with God? The first statement encyclical letters of Leo 13. Notice what he said. We hold upon this earth the place of who? Of God Almighty. That's what the Jews wanted to stone Jesus for. He said, the Father and I are one. And they said, that's blasphemy. Notice another statement here, official statement, dignity and duties of who? Of the priest, volume 12, page 2, it says, God himself is obligated to abide by the judgment of who? Of his priests. In other words, God is subject to the priests, to the judgment of the priests. And either, um, and either not to pardon or to pardon according as they, the priests, refuse or give absolution. The sentence of the priest precedes and God does what? subscribes to it okay so there you go so they claim the power to forgive sins that's not from me that's an official statement from the roman catholic church state so is it a persecuting power that's number four was it a persecuting power friends the answer is yes did the church and state during the dark ages unite under rome and persecute those who did not Go along with its teachings. Notice this statement here. Yes, that's very clear. If you know basic history, you know that is true. Notice what it says here. That the Roman church and state has shed more innocent blood than any other institution that has ever existed among mankind will be questioned by no Protestant who has a competent knowledge of what, everyone? Of history. I'm not going to get into the details, but you're welcome to research that. And you will see that this is a fact. It's a historical fact. There is no way to hide it. It's all, you know, available to whoever wants to research. Now, another one is reigns for how long, everyone? 1260 years. So this is not a little power that reigned for 10 years and then is gone. Or a little man that reigned for, you know, maybe 50 years and then it's gone. This is a power that had political and ecclesiastical authority for 1260 years. Now, notice carefully. This brings us, you know, the 42 months that we already saw from the year 5, what, everyone? 38, 38 all the way to 17. 
98, you have the 1260 years. Why do we choose 538? Because in 538, the ecclesiastical power of the Roman Catholic Church received political power from Justinian, who was the emperor in the eastern side of the Roman Empire. What side did I say, everyone? Eastern. You had, you know, like uh, the western side of the Roman Empire that was divided by the barbarian tribes. And now they were trying to unify again under the pontiff of Rome. And then Justinian said, we can help you out. And they gave the Pope political power, military power, so the Pope could be not only ecclesiastical power, the head of all the churches, but also a political power. Now, what happened in 1798? The end of the 1260 years. We have Napoleon, who was a French, who was trying to unify Europe and become an emperor of Europe. He knew that the papacy was on the way of the French, uh, of France during the French Revolution, and he basically sent his general to the Vatican, to Rome, actually, to put the Pope in prison. Barthier was the name of that general. He entered in Rome in what year, everyone? In 1798, exactly as the prophecy predicted. And that was the end of the papal power. This is just a review. We kind of talk about that when we talk about, you know, that beast with the little horn power in Daniel chapter 7. It's a repeat. Now, here has a question for us. What does history tell us about these remarkable events? Let me read it to you, another historical statement. Church History, page 24. The murder of a Frenchman in Rome in 1798, of a Frenchman in Rome in 1798, gave the French an excuse for occupying the eternal city and putting an end to the what, everyone? Papal temporal power. You see that word temporal here? It simply means state power, political power, okay? So... A murder of a Frenchman gave the excuse to, to France to put an end to the papal state power. Okay? It was still a church, but with no longer state power, no longer temporal power. Notice, it goes on to say here, the aged pontiff, that is talking about the Pope at the time, Pius VI, himself was carried off into exile to what city? Valence, that is in France. The enemies of the church did what, everyone? Rejoice. The last pope they declared had what, everyone? Resigned. But of course, you know, like two years later, another pope came into scene, but no temporal power anymore. That was the deadly wound that we find in Revelation 13, verse 3. What, what verse are we now? Verse 3. Go there with me. Revelation 13, verse 3. Notice carefully what it says here. This is relevant for us, friends. Notice what it says. And I saw one of his heads as it had been, what everyone? Mortally wounded. Let me ask you a question. If you receive a mortal wound, what happens with you? You die. You're dead. So the papacy receive a mortal wound, a mortal wound, it says here, mortally wounded. And then it says, and his deadly wound was what everyone? Healed, it means that it resurrected. The prophecy is saying that the papacy will once again have temporal power, political power, state power that lost in 1798. It never lost ecclesiastical authority. It was still a church. You know, they lost political power. They lost what kind of power, everyone? Political power. The healing of the mortal wound it has to do with restoring political power to the papacy. I want to read a statement here. Um, that uh, took place in the newspaper, the San Francisco Chronicle, Tuesday, February 12, 1929, because there was a major event here related to prophecy. I want you to see what this newspaper wrote. Nothing to do with Bible prophecy. Notice what it says. Mussolini, who was Mussolini, everyone? He was a dictator in what country? Italy, okay? So Mussolini, what did he do? And Gaspari, he was a cardinal of the Vatican. He was a politician for the Vatican. What did they do, the two together? They signed historic Roman pact. And then the newspaper says, what is the first word? Healed wound of 
many years. And that pact basically Mussolini restored political power, state power to the Vatican. It returned the state of Vatican to the Roman Catholic Church. Okay, so of course, it's not to the magnitude it had in the Dark Ages, but it's, I see as the beginning of the healing of the mortal wound. Prophecy is fulfilling before our eyes, friends. Prophecy is what, everyone? Fulfilling before our eyes. And you can research this newspaper. You're going to find it. and You can read for your own. But there you have the reference. Okay, so... And we see from that time on the power and the influence of the Roman Catholic Church and state again. It's no longer just a church, but it became a state again after Mussolini restored the state power to the Roman Catholic Church. It's growing more and more, not only over the religions of the world, like he meets with all the religious leaders of the world and he's always the leader, but also he's meeting with the political powers of the world. The wound is being restored stored more and more and we see the Roman Catholic Church recovering the state power again that's the healing of the wound we see even here like um, CEOs of oil companies meeting with the Pope in the Vatican we see the United Nations meeting with the Pope where in the Vatican instead of instead of meeting where they normally meet they went to the Vatican no notice carefully here we have one more identifying characteristic. What is that, everyone? The number of his name. That's not the mark of the beast yet, but it's the number of his, what, everyone? His name. Notice very carefully here. Let's read it again, what it says. In verse 18 in your Bible, the Bible says, Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding do what, everyone? Calculate. So what do we need to do tonight, everyone? We need to do what, everyone? We need to calculate the number of the beasts. And that calculus must come from where? For it is the number of a what, everyone? Of a man. So we have to look to a man in this system, in this power, and calculate. It will not be there 666. We will need to do what, everyone? Calculate. For it is a number of a man. His number is 666. Notice, I want to call your attention to one of the titles of the Pope. What did I say, everyone? One of the what? The titles of the Pope. One of the titles of the Pope is this. And because we are looking to a man. Remember, we have to calculate it. It is the number of a man. So here it says, one of the official titles of the papacy is, what does it say there? Vicarious or vicarious filidei. That's a Latin um, you know, statement or title for the Pope, which means vicar of the Son of God, in place of the Son of God, the vicegerent of God on earth. So I want you to see that this title over here, Vicarious Filidei, which is Latin, okay, so it comes from Rome. We find in it, if we calculate the number of the beast, 666. And of course, because we are dealing with the Roman power, you are probably familiar with Roman Numbers, they have values. Each letter has a value. Not every letter, but a lot of letters has value. For instance, vicarious, letter V, how much it values? Five, I values, one, C values, 100. And then you go back to U, which has the same value as V, which is five. And then you go to Philly and you find all the values there, like L is equal to 50. And then you go to D, D is equal to 100, uh, 500, excuse me. And then when you calculate, that's what the Bible told us to do. To calculate, we find what? 666. So the Bible is giving here mathematical identifying characteristic for this power. So having understanding that the beast is the Roman Catholic Church and State and has lost political power in 1798, but will recover and is recovering, is healing that power, will get back that power one time, and I see already getting, we need to understand now what is the what, everyone? The mark of the beast. Because it's not one word, the mark of the beast. is the mark of the beast. Otherwise, if you don't understand that, friends, you're going to be looking for the mark of the beast everywhere. Everywhere. But you have to be looking for the mark of who? 
the beast. And the mark of the beast is basically saying the mark of authority of the beast. Now, let me take you here to verse 16 and 17. Okay? Revelation 13, 16 and 17. At this point, friends, I could, you know, basically show historical facts or historical statements from the Roman Catholic Church and state where they themselves state what is the mark of their authority and that was over. We would know what the mark of the beast is. They have statements about that and I'm going to show you in a little bit. But before we do that, I want to read a verse here and then we are going to understand that God himself has a mark. God has what, everyone? A mark. Notice what it says in verse 16. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a what, everyone? A mark on their right hand or on their what, everyone? Foreheads. Friends, if you study these expressions in the Bible, you understand that the forehead is the place where you make decisions. It has your frontal lobe. Frontal what, everyone? Lobe. Where you have your decisions, your thought process, where you reason. And your hand is a symbol of your actions. I'll give you a reference. We don't need to go there, but I'll give you a reference for that. Ecclesiastics chapter 9, verse 10. Ecclesiastics chapter 9, verse 10. It says, you know, whatever comes into your hand, do with all your might. So the hands is a symbol of doing your actions. So, but we are going to go back to that in a little bit. But you'll see the mark of the beast either in the forehead, in the frontal lobe, or in your hand, symbolizing your mind, your decision, or in your actions. Notice carefully here what it says in verse 17. And that no one may buy or sell except one who has the what, everyone? The mark or the name of the beast or the number of, the, of his name. Like, for instance, we see in the head of that system, we have someone that has the number of his name. Now, let's talk about the mark of God. The mark of who, everyone? Why am I talking about the mark of God? Very simple, friends. Whatever God does, the enemy has a counterfeit. The enemy has a what, everyone? A counterfeit. As I said to you, I could stop right here and take statements from the Roman Catholic Church and State where they say what is the mark of their authority, and that was over. But I want to show you, before we go there, that God also has a mark, and we are going to understand what is the mark of God, and we will see that by default, if that's the mark of God, the mark of the beast or the mark of the Roman Catholic Church and State must be, and that will be, uh, very easily understood. Notice Revelation 7. What chapter are we going now? Revelation 7. Go there with me in your Bibles. Revelation chapter 7. And we find here the seal of the living God. What word did I say now? The seal. Because the word seal, the word mark, the word sign, they are interchangeably in the Bible. And I will show you in a little bit. Notice what it says in verse 2. The Bible says, Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having what kind of seal? The seal, the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice. Now jump to verse 3 with me. I want you to see what he says. Saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God. Where? On their foreheads. So in the last days, we have two seals, two marks that will be placed in the foreheads. But one has the opportunity to receive in the hand. Not the seal of God. The seal of God is only in the forehead. It's only where you make your decisions, where you reason, where you are able to accept and acknowledge. But the mark of the beast, it can be used through your actions. Even though you don't accept, you don't acknowledge, but as long as you go along with everybody else, that's fine. So we have the seal of the living God. We don't have to guess what that seal is. The Bible is very plain. But let me show you in Romans 4.11 how the words sign and seal are used interchangeably. Are we together? This is not talking about the seal of the living God. I'm just showing you the two words how they are used in the Bible. It says here, and he, that's Abraham, received the what, if you want? The sign of circumcision. A what? A seal of the righteousness. So can you see that the word sign and seal, they are related in, in the Bible, yes or no? Okay, so now notice what uh, we find. Two verses, Isaiah 8, 6. I want you to go there. 
8.16 is that. Isaiah 8.16. The Bible says here very clear, um, you know, in reference to God's seal. And it's related to his law. Notice what it says. Isaiah chapter 8 verse 16. Seal the what, everyone? The law among my disciples. This is plain Bible verse. We're just dealing here not with opinions, but with what the Bible says. Now, Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 12. You want to go there? Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 12. So we're going to the book of Ezekiel in chapter 20, verse 12. And if you want to add, you can add verse 20 as well of the same chapter. But we're going to read only verse 12. And notice what the Bible says in verse 12. Moreover, I also gave them my what, everyone? My Sabbath. For what purpose? To be a what? A sign between them and me. So what is the sign that God gave to his people, between him and his people? The Sabbath. Was it given to the Jews only? No. All the way to creation, God gave Sabbath for mankind. So it's not a Jewish institution. Just as much marriage is not a Jewish institution. Because in the garden, God gave marriage and what, everyone? The Sabbath. We never say, but marriage is for the Jews. But for some reason, we say that the Sabbath is for the Jews. So let's go on here. Friends, the sign or the seal of the living God is found in his law. More specifically, in the fourth commandment where, where it says, Remember to keep what, everyone? The Sabbath holy. Friends, the number seven of the seventh day is a symbol of perfection. You say, how come? Friends, just in the Bible. The creation cycle was seven days. It was complete. The word was very good. It was perfect. No taint of sin. And then we find, for instance, we have um, Captain Naaman. When he had leprosy, he went to the prophet. How can I be healed? He says, go into the Jordan River and go into the water how many times? Seven times. After the seventh time, he was completely healed. So the number seven is related to completion, to perfection. Whereas the number six, it comes short. It's related to rebellion is related to sin okay so notice what it says here 666 symbolized man's what everyone rebellion in changing god's law which is his what sign seal or mark of authority friends again the seal of god is placed where only in the forehead but the mark of the beast can be placed in two places in the forehead and in the in the hand. Why? Forehead, where you have the frontal lobe, it shows that you have conviction. You are convinced it is right, the right thing to do, whereas the hand symbolizes what? Coerce or go along with it. God never uses what, if you want? Force. Now, this whole notion of having a seal a sign or a stamp, a mark of authority is very common when you look into history that the kings in the past kingdoms, they had their, their ring where they had their seal. Are you familiar with that if you want tonight? Is that clear tonight? And I want you to know what you found in the king's ring where he had his seal of authority. You found three things. How many things, everyone? Three, you found the name of the king, right? You find what? The title, you know, saying that he's the king of, and then you find the, the territory. That's what you found and the seal of a king. And friends, when you look to the fourth commandment, what commandment did I say? The fourth. You find exactly those three things, and we're going to see that right now. God's seal must contain his what, everyone? His name must contain his title and also his territory. Let's read the fourth commandment clearly here in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Where are we going now? Exodus 20, beginning verse 8. We're exploring the fourth commandment. It says here, remember the Sabbath day to keep it whole. And then it gives the reason. For in six days, what is the next word, everyone? The Lord. Do you see this word, Lord, all capitalized? That wasn't me, okay? So it's in the manuscripts. It's in your Bible. 
Whenever you see the word Lord or God all capitalized in the Old Testament, it's because in the original manuscript you find the name of God, Yahweh. But the translators, they didn't want to write Yahweh and they put all capitalized. Are we together so far? So you find right over here in the fourth commandment, first of all, you find the name of God. And then he gives what he is. For in six days the Lord did what, everyone? He made. That makes himself the what, everyone? The creator, the maker. So we find his name. We find also his title. He is the maker, the creator. And then we find his territory, the heavens and the earth and the and the sea. So notice carefully here this slide. God seals contain his name, the Lord your God. But you find even the word Yahweh right there in the fourth commandment. Title, creator, and territory, heaven and earth and sea. Now, going back, just a, a reference here. Ezekiel 20 verse 20. It says, hallow my what, everyone? My Sabbath. Why? And they will be a sign between me and you that you may know that I'm the Lord, that the Lord your God. Okay, so we find again that word all capitalized there. You know, so it said that you may know that I am the Yahweh, your God. Now notice carefully here this statement. The Sabbath is God's, what if you want? Sign or seal or mark of loyalty or faithfulness to the what? To the Creator. Friends, when we keep the Sabbath, it's not a matter of a day. It's a matter, who am I loyal to? Who do I trust to? Okay, because a lot of people, they say, but nobody else keeps the Sabbath. In the end of the day, friends, I'll just be honest with you. In the end of the day, it's about convenience. It's about what, everyone? convenience it's about lack of trust lack of what everyone trust can god take care of me is god in control of my life yes or no in the end of the day it's about trust and also convenience the central issue regarding the mark of the beast is what everyone is worship let me show that from the bible that's an extra verse here we're not going to charge extra for that tonight okay so let's go to revelation 14 what chapter are we going now revelation 14 you should know by now what we find there in revelation 14 what do we find there the what what kind of message the three angels messages the three angels message i'm going to show you that the issue of the mark of the beast is related to worship is related to what everyone worship notice what we find first in verse 7 the first angel's message verse 7 the bible says saying with a loud voice fear god and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has what everyone has come and what worship him who what is the next word made heaven and earth the sea and the springs of water that's the message to worship the creator god now, notice in verse 9, where you find the mark of the beast. And notice if worship is connected with that. The Bible says here in verse 9, the following. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone, what is the next word, everyone? Worships the beast. And we already know what the beast is. And his image, we are going to talk about the image of the beast tomorrow. And receive his, what if you want? Mark on his forehead or in his what? Hand. Let's start right there. Can you see that the issue of the mark of the beast is related to worship? Is that clear? Yes or no? Friends, just stop with this idea that the mark of the beast is actually a visible uh, chip in your forehead or a tattoo or, or a vaccine. Away with that, it has to do with what goes on in your mind and in your actions. Are we together so far? So let's go on here. Notice this statement here. The Bible says here, what does the, actually uh, it's a question. What does the church of Rome, notice carefully. What church did I say here? The church of Rome claims is the sign of its authority. Again, it's not about opinion. We're going to go to official sources. What kind of sources, everyone? Official. Notice this statement. Crazy, crazy, friends. Notice. It says here, Catholic Records, September 1st, 1923. Sunday is our, what everyone? Yeah. 
mark of authority. So it's coming straight from the beast's power. And they say, like, we should just ask, what is the mark of your authority? They will say, the mark of our authority is Sunday. That's what tells us that we have authority. Notice carefully what they say. The church is above what, everyone? The Bible. Start right there. Is that true, yes or no? Not at all, friends. Not at all. The Bible is the basis for our faith. But here it has a claim. The church, why do, why do they say that the church is above the Bible? Because they changed the day of worship from Sabbath to Sunday. And they are saying, we're not playing games here saying that the Bible says that. No. We are above of the Bible. And the mark of our authority over the Bible is Sunday because we changed. And his transference of Sabbath observance is proof of that fact. That they have authority above the Bible. Friends, it's about worship. Friends, it's about counterfeits. It's about what, everyone? Counterfeit. God's sign, God's seal, God's mark of authority is Sabbath. The counterfeit, instead of the last day of the week, is the first day of the week. Notice what it says here. God's mark, the Sabbath, Roman church's mark, what have you want? Sunday. Not because the Bible changed, they say, no, we are above the Bible and we change it and that's the mark of authority. Notice another source. Saint, help me with the pronunciation here. Catherine, Catholic Church, Sentinel, May 21st, 1995. Perhaps the boldest thing, the most revolutionary change the church ever did happen in the first century. And then he goes on to say, the holy day, the Sabbath was what, everyone? Change from Saturday to Sunday. It said very clear, it was the church that did that. Not from any direction noted in the what? In the scriptures, that wasn't the reason we changed. But from the church sense of its own what? Power. People who think that the scripture should be the sole authority. Common. The sentence is not finished. And I ask to you tonight, you listen very carefully what they are saying here. They are talking probably with you. Notice. People who think that the scripture should be the sole authority. Do you think that the, the Bible should be the sole authority of faith? Yes. Then this statement is for you. This statement is for you. People who think that the scripture should be the sole authority should logically become Seventh-day Adventists and keep Saturday holy. That comes from the Catholic Church. I never said that. I never said that, but that's what they say. You want to be consistent with your beliefs? You know, you want to follow the Bible? You better keep Saturday holy. Notice this statement here, another one. If that's not enough, notice what it says here. Another historical fact here. Thomas, Chancellor of Cardinal Gibbons. It says, of course the Catholic Church claims uh, that the change Saturday Sabbath to Sunday was her act. And the act is a what, if you want? The mark of her ecclesiastical authority in religious things. Friends, if that is clear tonight, then, friends, we, we have to make some decisions. Because the word of God is speaking tonight and also the beast power of Revelation 13 is speaking tonight without, you know, hiding around the bush, behind the bush. They are just saying very clearly what is the, the mark of their authority in religious matters. The fact that they have the power to change what the word of God says. The final issue of loyalty will be the center around what everyone? Worship. Do I worship the creator? Do I trust him? Or do I worship the beast? Okay, and it doesn't mean that people necessarily need to become Catholic to worship the beast, but Protestants, they have inherited the authority, the mark of 
the Roman Catholic Church. They have embraced it. And they tried to say no, but because Jesus raised on Sunday, and they tried to manipulate, and they tried, they tried, they tried. And the Church of Rome is saying, stop with that. In every age, God has called men and women to do what, if you want? Take a stand. Is he calling us in these last days to take a stand? What do you think? Oh, yes, we must take a stand. In the last days, friends, God invites his people to what, if you want? To take a stand. And friends, I cannot finish this message without making an appeal for each one of us to take a stand. I cannot present this message just informational. You sit back and say, that's very nice. That's a nice message. Okay, let's go home and forget about it. Friends, people have done that throughout the ages. When Noah was preaching the message that the flood was coming, how many people entered into the ark? Eight people. When Jesus came as the Messiah, how many people were ready to receive Jesus Christ? And he came to his own people, not many. Friends, during the Protestant Reformation, when people start discovering the Bible truth, what happens there? They were persecuted. They went to the stake and they gave their lives for their faith. And in this last day, do you think it will be different? That God doesn't expect us to make a stand and decide for him? I want to call um, the table leaders, if you would please help us here tonight, and pass a card. And uh, the reason we are passing this card, because we would like you, if you want, to express what is in your heart. To say, if you want to make a stand for Christ and for the truth, and you want to receive the seal of the living God and reject the mark of authority of the Roman church, state power you will have the opportunity and in the end of the day friends will your love and loyalty be with the living christ who gave his love and life for you on the cross that's in the end of the day let me have a card here really quick if someone could give me a card yes Number one here, and I want you to mark if that's your desire. There is no coercion here. God doesn't work that way. God presents the truth. He persuades. He draws us with his love. He convicts with truth. But in the end of the day, we have to make a decision with our brains. With our what, everyone? With our brains, our frontal lobe. That's where the mark will be put. That's where the seal of God will be put. Number one. I accept Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. Notice carefully, not only accept Jesus, I accept Jesus as the only way and the what, everyone? The truth and the life. I chose to follow all his teachings as found in the Bible and not anywhere else as he empowers me through his grace. If that's your desire, why not to mark there? Number two, I chose not to worship the beast. And again, friends, this word beast is not offensive. It's just a word to symbolize nations in the Bible. But I choose not to worship the beast or receive his mark, but rather choose to receive the seal of God and receive the righteousness of Christ. If that's your desire, why not to mark there? Number three, I, cho I choose to worship him, that's Jesus, who made what? heaven and earth by keeping holy the seventh-day Sabbath as a sign of his redemptive power in my life. Because the same power that created can recreate our hearts. And number four, friends, I love Jesus and I would like to be baptized or consider baptism. If that's your desire, why not to mark there? And I want to say even for those that have been attending our church if you see a need to recommit your life and perhaps you say, for whatever reason, I wander from the faith, I went astray from the faith, or I have given a break and I want to come back, why not make a commitment tonight? And if you're visiting and you're learning this truth and you feel the desire of your hearts, why not to mark? 
It doesn't mean we are going to baptize you today, tonight, or tomorrow. But it means that you have a desire. And you want to express that. And you don't want Satan to take that desire away from you. When you do that, visually and manually, you are sealing your decision with Christ. Friends, we would like you to give this card if that's your desire. We're dealing here with choice, friends. We're dealing with what, everyone? Choice. Based on the exposition of God's word. If that's your desire, why not to give this card filled up as you exit tonight, as you go home tonight. And uh, friends, let's bow our heads and pray and ask uh, Jesus Christ to come into our hearts and become the Lord of our lives. Father in heaven, we are grateful for your word. And as you have said, your word is truly a lamp into my feet. Your word brings conviction and it cuts like a two-edged sword and sometimes is painful. But Lord, we trust that you love us, that you have given your lives for us, and you desire to transform our lives and prepare us for your soon return. And Father, we tonight give you again permission to come into our lives. We ask you, Lord, to give us a new heart and to write by your grace. That's you writing your law in the tables of our hearts. Give us the mark of your authority. Help us to trust of your care and your love. For we pray in the precious name of Jesus. Let everyone say, Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.